We're continuing our series entitled Mind Games. And I'm gonna have some friends bring out some illustrations that I'll talk through here in a few moments. But when we're talking about mind games, we are simply talking about the power of our thoughts. Quick survey for you. How many have ever had some crazy thoughts? Raise your hand at me, wave at me, right here, right here. How many of you have ever had a thought that made you say, yeah, I think I need some therapy? <laughs> Wave at me if you've ever had a thought that caused you to say, I don't know if I'm completely sane or not, right? And so if you didn't raise your hand, I invite you to preach at the next series or the next experience because everybody deals with mental battles. Everybody deals with struggles in our mind. Everybody deals with mind games. And we've been learning this principle. Why is it so important that we learn how to steward our thoughts well? Because your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Which is really exciting for some people and really shocking and terrifying for other people. But here's the good news. If you can change your mind, you can change your life. If you can change the way that you think, you can change the way that you live. And this has been our series text throughout this whole series, Mind Games. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I don't know about you, but I am holding on to this promise that is in the Word of God that I can walk through this life with life and peace. Wave, wave at me if you want a little bit of life and you want a little bit of peace. This is a beautiful Promise, But many times as we talk about mind games and being free in our mind, the response of people internally mostly is, there's no way I can be free in my mind. That place is unattainable. That place is impossible. And so I want to start, before I exegete the text and talk about Romans 8, I want to start on the foundation of faith and declare over you that no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what your background is, your history is, whether it's your first day in church or you've been going to church your entire life, here's what I want you to know and prophesy this over you. You can be free in your mind. In fact, Jesus did not die on the cross just so that we could make it to heaven when we die. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we can walk in peace right now, so that we can walk in joy right now. That's a good place to praise God right there. Jesus gave his life not just so that we could get to heaven, but so that heaven could get to us. Here's what I want you to understand is our God is right now victorious. So when it comes, we oftentimes view it like this, like our mind games are in one corner of the ring and God is in the other corner of the ring and we're sitting back in the stands like biting our nails, like who's gonna win? I've got good news for you. 2,000 years ago when Jesus bled, died, was buried and rose again, he already became victorious over every mental battle we could experience. Did you know God is undefeated? Did you know God has never had a setback, that he's never been knocked down, that he's never been KO'd, that he's never been broken or defeated? He wins in every battle he engages in. Like we often view that it's like when, when we're winning, God's winning. Or, or when, when, when God's doing cool things, like when Jesus' revolution comes out, God's moving. But when Target does something crazy, we're like, I don't know. 
The reality is, no matter what's happening in our society, Jesus is right now victorious, and we can live from that reality. If you're victorious, I can be victorious in every area of my life. I'll illustrate it to you. I remember once I was watching this movie about Steve Jobs. And uh, in this movie, the writers of this movie were trying to communicate to the viewer this idea that it might not work out for Steve. And they're showing the ups and downs and the highs and the lows and the friends that are, uh, are, are messing up. And uh, they're, they're showing all the moments, the moments of bankruptcy, the moments where things don't sell. And the viewer's trying to sell you on the idea it may not work out for this guy. But guess what? I was never once convinced that it wasn't going to work out for Steve Jobs. You know why? I was watching the movie from an iPhone. <laughs> I love the waves of different people catching it. Oh. I was never convinced it's not going to work out because I was looking at the story through the lens. I was holding the end of the story in my hands. I was holding, I was, I was looking at the story through the lens of how this ends. And I want you to know today, when you hold the word of God in your hands, you are holding the end of the story. Everything can change in your life when you realize this, that I don't view life through the lens of current circumstances or struggles or battles. I can view life through the reality that the end of this story, we've read the back of the book and we know Jesus wins and so do we. This thing ends with my good in mind. This thing ends in my peace. Can we praise God? This thing ends with my victory. So the baseline of this whole conversation is not, I'm going to try really hard to think good thoughts. The baseline of this conversation is Jesus has already purchased your freedom. You just have to walk in it. And that's all I have for you today. I'm joking. The question obviously is, how do I walk in it? And in Romans chapter 8, we see three beautiful, simple principles that I believe are going to take us one step forward in our freedom when it comes to our mind. Paul teaches us this. He says, he says that you can either set your mind on the flesh, which leads to death, or you can set your mind on the spirit, which leads to life and peace. He's teaching a very simple principle that I think we need to grab today. Here's number one for you if you're taking notes. My thoughts are my choice. Can everyone say that out loud with me? Say, my thoughts are my choice. I have a confession for you. And last service I said this, it got kind of heavy in the room. I'm not a dog lover, okay? And I know all the dog lovers, when I say that, you look at me like, you monster. But I want to tell you the reason why I'm not a dog lover is not my fault. The reason why I'm not a dog lover is because I grew up with a killing machine of a German shepherd named Kona. And two facts about Kona that I want to share with you. Number one, he hated everything and everybody. And number two is he was constantly reminding people of fact number one. There were moments where Kona would walk into the room, look me in the eyes as if to communicate to you, to me, hey, you know that I can take you out at any point in history. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And, and there were times, so like I'm not a dog lover, but I'm open to the idea I just need therapy first and it's not in the budget anyways. There were times where my parents tasked my siblings and I with taking Kona on a walk. So we would put Kona on a leash, and we begin to walk Kona with the intention of leading this dog. The problem is he was way stronger than any of us. And so when Kona went left, we went left. And when Kona went right, we went right. 
And we were not walking the dog, the dog was walking us. We were not controlling the dog, the dog was controlling us. Why are you telling us this story? That's a great question, I'm so glad that you asked, sir. The reason why I'm telling you this story is because I've found that many people function the same way when it comes to their minds. They don't lead their thoughts, their thoughts lead them. So if you have a thought, we're going to be angry today, then all right, we're going into anger. If you have a thought, we're going to be stressed today, then we drift into stress. But Paul is teaching us in this text that you actually have a choice to make, that you have the power to choose, do I set my mind on the things of the flesh or do I set my mind on the things of the spirit? You know, David modeled this in the Psalms. David was probably the most emotional person in Scripture, maybe next to Peter. And David was constantly uh, depressed. He was constantly disheartened or anxious. David was always in the sadsies, okay? And David was constantly saying words like this. He would say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. David would say this, bless the Lord, O my soul. And what is our soul? It is our mind, it is our will, it's our emotions. And so this was a picture of David looking into his own emotional state and saying, hey, I know you're sad. I know you're anxious. I know life hasn't gone the way that you thought it was. I know this week has been crazy. But guess what? You don't determine where we go and how we live. Here's what we're going to do, soul. We're going to bless the Lord. Everything would change in our lives if we just got this down in our heart that we said, you know, know what life is unpredictable and sometimes my kids are crazy and sometimes my spouse is crazy and sometimes situations are crazy but in all of that bless the Lord oh my soul my thoughts are my choice everyone say it again say my thoughts are my choice I ask my boys every morning I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old I ask them hey boys who chooses if you have a good day or a bad day and their response is, me. And the follow-up question is, what are you going to choose today? What, what am I, I'm trying to teach them. It's a choice that I don't just arrive in life and just let it take me where, that my thoughts are not like a German shepherd on a leash. No, I have the power to choose where my thoughts go. And so I'll ask them, what are you going to choose today? And they're going to say, a good day. Unless one of them's already mad, then my two-year-old will often say, a bad day. <laughs> okay. Because my thoughts are my choice. This is why it frustrates me when people say stuff like, you made me mad. You made me frustrated. No, 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 friends. People can only invite you into thoughts of anger, frustration, and stress. You still got to RSVP and, and answer the invitation. I'm sorry, but DMX had it wrong when he said, y'all about to make me lose my mind up in here, up in here, which is beautiful songwriting and poetic, first of all. But if you lose your mind or not, it's up, not up to your situation. It's up to you. My thoughts are my choice. Okay, great. What does that look like? Can we, we do a little Bible study here? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. Paul says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Everyone say Whatever. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, everyone say whatever. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul tells us in Romans 8, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. 
Paul shows us in Philippians 4, this is what that looks like. It is setting your mind intentionally on whatever is good, lovely, pure, excellent. Our problem is we stop at the word whatever. We have our own version of this verse, and it sounds like this. Whatever pops into my mind, whatever is bothering me, whatever is stressing me out, whatever is making me feel anxious, think on these things. We've got to learn that we can actually make the choice to think intentional thoughts. Now, I'm not a neurologist, which I know comes as a shock to many of you. Because I guarantee the first thought that you had when I walked up here was, I bet that guy's a neurologist. I'm not a neurologist, but did you know that your thoughts affect every single part of your life? Did you know that your thoughts affect you on a cellular level? Dr. Caroline Leaf teaches this principle that your, your thoughts actually affect your DNA and therefore your genetics and therefore your kids inherit the way that you think. So if you think that this battle in your mind is just affecting you, no, friends, this will affect the next generation. So I want to start walking in victory right now so that my kids can inherit a victorious mindset. Your thoughts affect your emotions. Your peace or lack of peace is contingent upon the way that you think. In many areas, your physical health is attached to the way that you think your mind is a weapon that's either fighting for you or it is fighting you. I love this quote, John Milton says this. He says, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Our thoughts are so powerful that you and I need to learn to steward them. So the first principle we see in this text is my thoughts are my choice. But I want you to look back at the text because Paul doesn't just say, hey, think good thoughts, now everything's gonna be amazing. He says, you need to set your mind on the things of the spirit or you're gonna set your mind on the things of the flesh, which tells me this, here's number two, right thinking is a process. I, I wish it was a light switch. And full disclosure, I hate the process. Where are my people at? Raise your hand if you're with me. I hate the process. People tell me all the time, well, you need to learn to love the process. Fall in love with the process. Find the joy in the journey. And I tell them all the same thing. No! I hate the process. I wish this thing was like a light switch that I can spend 30 years thinking negative, anxious thoughts and then just read Philippians 4.18 in the mirror and everything goes away. But unfortunately, there's a process to this. I don't like the process. I wish it was one lap around Jericho and then the walls fall. I wish it wasn't 40 years in the wilderness. I wish the moment that I bought a gym membership that I got muscular and ripped and I had big muscles, but unfortunately, I had to work for this body. <laughs> you laughed a little too hard. I wish it was the flip of a switch. I wish it was a moment. I wish I could lay hands on you in the altar and everything changes. But unfortunately, we've got to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. It's a continual process of meditating on that which is good and lovely and pure and excellent. I, I was praying for you and I felt like God gave me this picture. I think it's going to be helpful for you. That our thoughts are kind of like the gravitational pull of planets. Okay, so go with me all the way back to fifth grade science, if you would. If you're currently in fifth grade, uh, I guess this will just be the lesson before you get there in, in the fall. But uh, if you could pull up that, that graphic for me real quick. Here's, here's a basic overview of a gravitational pull. Every planet 
has a gravitational pull, some more than others. The closer you get to that planet, the stronger the gravitational pull becomes. And so here's many times how life works is we've got two planets. We live right here in the middle when we wake up in the morning. We've got planet peaceful and we've got planet anxious. Planet peaceful has a gravitational pull called peaceful thoughts. Planet anxious has a gravitational pull called, any guesses? Anxious thoughts. And the place that you arrive on, dwell on, consistently live on is contingent upon which gravitational pull that you give yourself to. So your thoughts are actually leading you to a destination. And here's what I found is many people will have one anxious thought and then they just give themselves to the gravitational pull. And they're just floating through space like life is terrible. I guess this is where we're going today. Life is crazy. The economy's crazy. Eggs are expensive. How am I going to buy eggs? Where is God? And then we arrive at this place called anxious as if we are powerless in the pursuit. But I want you to know today, the moment you start feeling the pull towards anxiety, you've got a weapon called your mind that can pull you out of that place into a place called peace. So your thoughts are your choice, but right thinking is a process. I've got to continually think on thoughts of peace if I want to arrive at a place called peace. I've got to learn how to, as the scripture says, I want to show you this scripture in 2 Corinthians 10. It says, it says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, say captive. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Here's what we need to know. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they will take you captive. Someone's going to end up as a prisoner. It's either going to be you or the thoughts that the enemy is plaguing you with. But I'm here to tell you that you are made for more than living as a prisoner to your anxiety or your fear. You've got a destiny that is on your life. There is a calling that is on your life and stop allowing the enemy to hide you in a prison cell. It's time to break free and say enough is enough. Draw a line in the sand, say anxiety, you're not taking another day. You're not taking another moment of my sleep. Here's what the scripture says, take captive every thought. Before a person can become a captive, they've got to go on trial. So you've got to become the gatekeeper of your mind. And every thought that arrives, it's trial time. Is this lovely? Is this good? Is this adding to my peace? Is this adding to my, my good? Is this adding to my well-being? And if it's not, it's got to go to jail. <laughs> it's got to go to prison. It, it's, it's got, and what does that mean? That means it doesn't have influence in your life. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want people who are captives voting in our society. And that's the truth is they don't have voting rights. They don't have voting power. And you need to get to a place where your anxiety does not have voting power in your mind. Our problem is we take thoughts that should be captives and we make them kings. We give them thrones. We give them power. We give them authority. And we allow our thoughts to dictate the way that we treat people. We allow thoughts to dictate our emotions. We allow our thoughts to dictate whether we worship or not. And God is saying today that you can begin to take your thoughts captive and live in victory. Now I want to teach you for a moment. Slow down for a moment and teach you how to do that. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a counseling session or heard a preacher. And they're like, hey, here's what you need to do. Take your thoughts captive. And then there's no further explanation. It's like, cool, 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 cool. I'll just go, I'll just go do that. I'll just, 
How do I do that? How do I take my thoughts captive? And here's what you need to know, that destructive thoughts, whether they be about you or life or people, destructive thoughts always start as a seed. They start small. They start minimal, right? It's it's the enemy in the garden coming to Adam and Eve and saying, did God really say He didn't come straight off and say, like, hey, God's a liar. No, no, no. He's planting a seed of doubt. It's the enemy coming to Jesus in the wilderness and saying, if you are the son of God. So every destructive thought starts as a seed. I promise you, this is going to set some people free. So if the enemy's end result for you is bitterness, for example, uh, he, he will not start the conversation by saying, hey, you know what you should do? Hate everything and everybody like Kona, the German shepherd. The enemy is so sneaky, and he will plant a seed that is so small that he will say something along the lines of, hey, did you notice when you walked into work that person didn't smile at you? And the only way a seed grows is if you water it. Can anybody guess how we water the seeds of our mind? Our thoughts. Great job, Pastor Ryan. The way that we water the seeds of our mind is through our thoughts. Man, that's pretty messy. Yeah, this is what unintentional thinking looks like. And the longer you water this seed that starts small, soon the seed will be transformed into an idea. And if the seed is, did you notice how they didn't smile at you? The idea might sound something like this. I think they got something against you. And the more we water this, it's fake conversation. Anybody else great at fake conversations? Those, those, those made-up conversations in your mind. I am so good at destroying people in arguments when it comes to fake conversations. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, water this idea, and soon, if you're not careful, the idea will become a belief. They don't like me. And soon, if we're not careful, the belief, if I don't manage and steward my thoughts, then the belief turns into a stronghold. I have found that this is the progression of every negative thought. A seed becomes an idea, an idea becomes a belief, and a belief becomes a stronghold. And it's messy, and it's dirty, and it's, it, it, it's like this is how anxiety works. It will not start with you having an irregular heartbeat and not catching your breath. It will start with, hey, life is kind of crazy right now. And then we're watering. Yeah, life is kind of crazy. Eggs are expensive. The seed then becomes the idea everything is potentially going downhill the idea becomes the belief I I don't know if anything's going to get better and then the belief becomes a stronghold that I can't catch my breath and my heart is beating out of my chest and it brings you into a place of anxiety now why is it important that we identify this progression because it is much easier to destroy a seed than it is to uproot a stronghold and so I want to encourage you the moment the seed arrives the moment the lie arrives here's the sermon within the sermon I want you to do three things the moment that lie gets there, the moment the enemy whispers in your ear, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray about it. Father, this thought is not from you. I identify it as a lie, and I give it to you right now in the name of Jesus. The second thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to verbalize it. I'm going to talk to somebody about this crazy thing that's going on in my mind. I know that's vulnerable, but I don't know about you. I would rather be free in my mind than worried about the opinions of people. If you fight alone, then you're going to lose. But if you fight with other people, I promise you can be, have, have victory in your mind. So what am I going to do when the seed arrives? I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to talk about it. And then here's number three, and this is key. You've got to replace the lie with the truth. 
So if the lie that the enemy speaks to you today is you will never walk in your destiny, then I replace that with the truth. I know the plans that he has for me, good plans to prosper me, to give me a hope and a future. If the lie is you will never have peace, I declare, no, devil, get behind me. Perfect peace belongs to those whose mind is stayed on you. If the lie is you'll never be free, you're always gonna be broken, you're always gonna be bound, you're always gonna be in prison. No, 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 who the sun sets free is free indeed. If we can start destroying them when they're seeds, they'll never become strongholds. So maybe the question for you today is, okay, what do I do if the seeds already become a stronghold and unfortunately there's no hope for you? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. We'll talk about it later. But here's what we're talking about in Romans chapter, in Romans chapter 8. We're learning this. Number one, my thoughts are my choice. Say, my thoughts are my choice. Number two, right thinking is a process. Say, right thinking is a process. And then finally, Paul says this. He teaches us this principle. This is the third principle that I want to convey to you, that your thoughts determine your outcome. I'm going to invite someone to come and join me on the keys. Your thoughts determine your outcome. Paul says this. If you set your mind on the flesh, it's going to lead in this result. If you set your mind on the spirit, it's going to end in this result. Now you choose. I love that Paul sent, spent so much time talking about the power of the mind. This was Paul. If anybody had a revelation of Jesus, it was Paul. If anybody was deep biblically, it was Paul. And yet Paul spends so much time just saying, yeah, if you think good thoughts, it's going to be good. If you think bad thoughts, it's going to be bad. I found that many times we hate the simplicity of that truth because we want it to be complex because if it's complex, then I will not walk in the freedom that God has for me. We want it to be complex. We want it to be difficult because if it's complex and difficult, then I don't take any practical steps to get healthy. I remember one time I was preaching, this kid came up to me, he said, pray for me, Pastor John, will you please pray for me? I said, yeah, man, what's going on? And he said, I just, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired right now. I was like... Yeah, yeah, like physically, yeah, I'm physically tired. I was like, can I pray for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you, but can I ask you a question real quick? What time did you go to bed last night? Oh, you know, I think it was like 2.30, 3 a.m., something like that, you know. And, and he's wanting me to cast a demon out of him called tired. And I'm like, bro, you don't need deliverance. You need better decisions. And he wanted it to be some complex answer, like the reason why I'm anxious is some deep hidden truth, like my mom rocked me too hard when I was a baby or something like that. But the truth is, the reason why we are anxious, and of course I know there's medical conditions, and I, we believe in therapy, and we believe in doctors, but at the end of the day, my thoughts are my choice, and my thoughts will lead me to an end result. It's either going to be life and peace, or it's going to be death. I think a lot of people, they, they, they think that it's just like up for grabs how their life ends up. I wonder if it's going to end up good for me. I talk to a lot of young adults who are like this. Yeah, I, I hope it ends up well. <laughs> hope I end up walking in what God's called me to do. Hope, hope I end up in, in the destiny and the calling that God has for me. Is, am I going to arrive in this place called purpose and walk with God and have a healthy marriage and have happy kids? Or is all of this going to go downhill? And the beauty of this text is your thoughts actually determine your outcome. So your outcome is your choice. Now, I know that there's probably people in this room. You're saying, those are some cute principles. Thank you for that. Love the plants. Get better at watering them. 
but you don't have any idea how long I've been dealing with these mind games. And I get that it can be so frustrating to sit in your seat and be writhing with anxiety. And then the preacher gets up and he's like, just think good thoughts. Or she's like, yeah, just declare scripture. And you're like, but you don't know how long I've been anxious and you don't know how long I've been depressed and you don't know how long I've been fearful and you don't know how long I've been worried and I've tried everything. I've tried the altar and I've tried the declarations. I've tried journaling. I've tried looking myself in the mirror and, and declaring you're powerful and you're amazing and you're beautiful, but it seems like nothing is working. I've tried everything and I felt God led me to end this message by reminding you of a familiar story of a woman in scripture who tried everything. Matthew chapter nine and Mark chapter five, both talk about a woman who had an issue of blood. The Bible says that she had this issue for 12 years. And the Bible says that she went to doctor after doctor trying to get better she spent all of her money but instead of getting better she got worse what do you do when your pursuit of better leads to worse and this woman after 12 years after 4383 days after a long season of trying and failing and falling flat on her face is standing in a city one day and Jesus is walking through the city and she's got a decision to make. Do I allow the gravitational pull of yesterday's disappointment to keep me from stepping out in faith? Or do I stand in a position of faith and say, I believe that that man is who he says he is. And in the same way Jesus was passing through the city, I believe Jesus is sweeping through this room right now. I feel his presence. The presence of God is sweeping through this room and you've got to decide, do I doubt that God can do anything because this is the way that it's always been or do I stand on the reality that he can do anything? That our God is an awesome God and that he reigns, that he's in charge and so this woman in this moment that's pivotal, she looks at Jesus in Matthew 9, 21. I want to show you this scripture. The Bible says, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Woo. She didn't say it. Nobody preached it to her. She thought it. Could it be that you're one thought away from a miracle? Could it be that you are one mindset away from stepping in to what God has called you to do? She, she thought, she, she could have had the thought, it's never worked out for me before. She could have had the thought, it's been 12 years and nothing has worked. But instead, she thought to herself, if only I could get to the feet of Jesus, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. What does she teach us? Just like Romans 8, she teaches us our thoughts are our choice. And then she starts pressing through the crowd. But the moment she starts pressing through the crowd is not the moment that she got healed. I wish that it was. I wish it was like a light switch. I wish it was one lap around Jericho. I wish it wasn't 40 years in the wilderness. But the moment she starts pressing through, she meets resistance. She, reads, she, she reaches obstacles. She reaches a reason why she should not get to the feet of, the, of Jesus. You know what the crowd represents for you? It represents every reason why you should not be healed. 
you don't know what I've been through. Pastor John, I, I was abused. I was abandoned. I was, people have walked out on me. People have stabbed me in the back. You know what that is? It's the crowd that's in between you. I want to tell you this. I am so sorry for what happened to you. I'm so sorry for what people did to you. But at some point, we've got to choose. Am I going to be a victim of the crowd? Am I going to run from the crowd? Am I going to say, ah, there's a crowd. Jesus is busy. I can't get to him. Or are we going to be a people that say, I know it's going to be difficult. And I know people are going to not want me up in there. But I know it's going to be hard. But I'm going to press through every insecurity and press through all past trauma to get to the feet of Jesus. She begins pressing through this crowd with this one thought in mind. If only I can get to the feet of Jesus. If only, if only, if only we focus on the wrong. If only we say, if only this situation would change or if only my money was better. If only my spouse was different or if only this didn't happen. But instead of saying, if only this would have been different, she said, if only I can get to the feet of Jesus, everything will change. And so she begins to press through the crowd showing us that right thinking is a process. And then this woman finally gets to Jesus, grabs a hold of the hem of his garment, and the Bible says, ooh, can you imagine after 12 years? The Bible says immediately the thing that she had been believing for was healed. Could it be that in a moment, after 12 years, after 30 years, after a lifetime of mental struggles, could it be that in a moment as we begin to worship here, Jesus can heal you of the thing that you've been plagued by. Here's what I love about the story is that when mind games encounter the Son of God, mind games have to bow. What I love about this story is that even though this is a 12-year-old stronghold, when we get in the presence of God, everything starts to change. I know I've given you some principles today, and I know I've given you some stuff from Monday, but at the end of the day, if we don't grab a hold of Jesus, nothing is going to change in our mind. So if you're asking the question today, how can I get rid of this stronghold? Here's what I want you to know. An encounter with Jesus can change everything. He had nails put in his hands so that your hands could be clean. Jesus wore a nail through his feet so that you could be forgiven for every place that you've gone that you shouldn't have gone. He had a spear placed in his side, into his lungs, guaranteeing that you could give every breath that you have for him. But the good news of the gospel is not just that he bled in his hands or in his feet or in his side. The good news of the gospel today is that Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And when Jesus shed his blood on his mind, he was shedding blood on your mind. And because of the cross, you and I can be free from anxiety. Praise him if you believe it. You and I can be free from fear. Praise him if you believe it. You and I can be free from stress and worry. Praise him if you believe it. God can do anything.